Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. We begin our series on the one another's, what a life in community looks like. In 2017, I went on a three-week silent retreat, not by choice. It was a requirement of the master's degree that I was doing in Talbot, and there's at least three people in this room that have done that same silent retreat. Now, different people experience this requirement slash opportunity slash joy slash gift in different ways. Um, One of the things that I experienced on that trip was that I got, it was in Washington in a beautiful house overlooking Puget Sound, And um, I went on a walk, and my walks are long, so it was probably about four or five miles into this walk, and I realized that I was completely and utterly lost. Now, one of the things they do at the silent retreat is they take your phone away. Um, And literally, for three weeks, you're not allowed to speak to anyone else except for this person that you process what God is doing through this retreat. If you need stuff from the store, they get it for you. you. You literally are alone. A phone taken away, and I'm lost, and I have no idea what to do. And so here I am, I'm in a tank top and my shorts and my hiking shoes, and I, I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction to go. If any of you have been in Washington, it's full of trees, which means that you really can't see very far in terms of any landmarks. So I decided to go to this, um, there was this car that was parked, and I decided to tap on the window, um, to try and get directions. So I tap on the window and scare this woman out of her wits, which, I mean, which obviously I could understand. And I say to her, hi, my name is Nick. I am like on this retreat where they've taken my phone away and I'm not allowed to connect with anyone. And I'm lost, but I also don't really know where I should be because I've forgotten the address. Uh, I didn't even know the address to this place. So she's looking at me like a little curiously thinking to myself, is this really happening to me? And I can see her hand is positioned on the window kind of dial to just turn it up a little. And I say, look, I know this sounds crazy, but if you just give me your phone, I can, I know, I know, okay? If you just give me your phone, then I can see where we are, like in terms of like where the phone is right now, and I can kind of plan where I'm going to be. And she said, well, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, okay, I, I understand. But can you, can you at least just do the, like, where am I on the phone? And so she does that. And, of course, I, I say, well, you know, can you pinch it? Here I am from the outside of the video. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm relaying these things, trying to, trying to tell her what to do. Eventually, she realized I wasn't completely out of my mind, that actually I did want to try and find my way home. And um, I started walking, just thought to myself, I think I have the general direction of where I'm going to go. Um, Thankfully, she didn't call the police on me uh, about this crazy person. That was one of the experiences I had on on this silent retreat. The other one was that I I literally thought I had tinnitus because that's how loud the silence was. Uh, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I think I can hear things in my ear. I realized in that point that I'm not good at being alone. This is not my thing, you know. 
Um, and I know that there are introverts that loved the idea of being away from people for three weeks. Just this idea of not having any human contact. But I realized something in that retreat. I realized that I like people. Whether they like me or not, I like people. <laughs> but I realized something more important is that I need people. Um, and that was something that was made very clear to me, just even by that little interaction uh, with that kind woman um, that probably has a story to tell now about some strange man that knocked on her window. But there is a difference between an introvert that is maybe quite happy to be by themselves and an extrovert that likes to be around people, but actually admitting that whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert, I need people. Bonhoeffer says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. In other words, be careful what your proclivity is because we need both. We need the ability to be alone with ourselves and with God, but we also need to understand that we need each other. And so we're doing the series called Life Together. Why are we doing the series? Because salvation is not just the initiation of a personal relationship between you and Jesus. It is what Hellerman calls a community-creating event. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you have said yes to his family. And that is a complex yes. We get that. Just like we don't get to choose our physical blood family, we don't get to choose our church family. The minute we've said yes to Jesus and the claims of Christ, we have been invited into his family with our brothers and sisters. And not just this broad family of the church, but of a specific church in a specific physical location. And this is a place where we worship God, where we participate in the sacraments, and where we are shaped by his word and where we engage in the one another's as they shape us. The amazing thing is that following Jesus is an amazing journey of being shaped by him and by his word and by his spirit, but also through the body. There's over 30 one another's uh, in the New Testament. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be examining some of the one another's that help us push against the prevalent kind of current of the society. I mean, how many of you know that we live in a society that is full of division and derision? I spoke about a year ago with regards to the idea of hot hate and cold contempt. And hot hate is easy to identify. Hot hate is usually what happens outside of the walls of the church where people call each other names and are very unkind to each other. And cold contempt is usually what happens within the context of a gathering of people where instead of calling someone a name, you just roll your eyes. You just sigh, and you just have this kind of growing cold contempt in your heart. I want us to recognize that this is not an accident, that we are being actively discipled into divided and hateful groups that are full of ungracious thinking. Years ago, it was unthinkable to think of political parties using the kinds of language that we are hearing now, like basket of deplorables and sleepy creepy Joe. Those things you would never hear 10 years ago. You would hear my esteemed colleague whom I disagree with. You would hear the fact that, yes, we're on the same team, but we have different perspectives. Now the language is so us and them that it should be jarring to us. 
We dehumanize people who hold different beliefs from us. And as Anne Lamott says, we participate in idolatry. She says this, that you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. We willingly enter and stay in our echo chambers that are ungracious places that are not biblically founded, and yet we have this expectation that as soon as we walk in that door in the YMCA, all of these things are just going to automatically fall off us, that we're going to be miraculously transformed into one body, one faith, with one hope, Lord, and purpose. It's not that easy, is it? Uh, These last two years have shown us that it is that pursuing community has to be done intentionally, it has to be done with humility, and it has to be done with an empowering of the Spirit, because we are not able to do this alone. In order to resist the Spirit of this age, we need one another. And so what are we called to do? What are we called to model? Paul writes this letter to the Romans, and the Roman church had Gentile leadership, and it was predominantly Gentile, but there was a huge mixture of people in this Roman church. There were males and females, there were Jews and Gentiles, there were slaves and free. And so he's writing into an environment that is diverse, that has different problems. And this is what he says in Romans 12, verse 9 to 18. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another. And that's where we start this morning, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is what God has called us to. Unfortunately, this is often our experience of Christian community. Let love be phony and insecure. Cling to what is evil Intentionally avoid what is good. Tolerate one another with polite surface interaction. Outdo one another with criticism and dishonor. Be slothful and lazy, and if you serve the Lord, remain quietly dispassionate in your spirit. Yeah, that's right. Be cynical, impatient, frustrated, anxious, and occasionally pray. What is yours belongs to you, and you deserve it. Those that don't have, get what they deserve. Manufacture plausible excuses to avoid hospitality. Get even with those who try to persecute you. Be insulated, aloof, and cold towards those that rejoice and offer sentimental platitudes to those who weep. Nitpick each other. Be oversensitive. Make sure that people know how talented and competent you are. Don't get mad, get even, even if some people think you've gone too far. When possible, as much as depends on you, remind people that if they have a problem with you, it's their problem. 
Father, I pray for your grace. I pray for your power and your authority. I pray that as we position ourselves in a place to allow your word to shape us, that you would get rid of shame and guilt, pain, and what we've experienced in the context of community and just raise our view to who you are and to how precious your community can be. So how do we avoid this phony and insecure version of community? We've got to remind ourselves four things, that community is commanded by God, that it is compelling, yes, it is challenging, also true, and it has to be Christ-centered. So let's start with the fact that community is commanded. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know or you will prove or you will display that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John Tyson says this Christianity is about love and the problem with love is that it requires other people. Therefore, there is no mature faith isolated from the Christian community. This is not an option. This is not a kind of peripheral extra that like you can add to your car that doesn't really affect your growth as a Christian. This is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The challenge with us, and this is what we've got to recognize, that our adherence to the first commandment that Jesus gave us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind is only made possible, exposed and tested and refined through the second commandment, which is to love one another. We prove our love to God by the way in which we treat one another, especially within the context of our faith community. It is literally impossible to be obedient to and gain the maturity that we need without one another. Challenge is that social anthropologists refer to the first world culture, which is our culture, as a weak group culture. This is where the needs, goals, and desires of an individual come first. Where personal allegiance to a group, whether that group is a family, a church, an organization, or any kind of civic society, is just a secondary consideration. And now listen to this, because this is as ouch as the thing I wrote about Romans, okay? We view groups in our lives in a utilitarian way. That means in, in a what-can-I-receive way. We view groups in our lives in a utilitarian way. These broader societal entities serve as a resource that we as individuals draw on in order to realize our own goals. So we are part of a group to the extent that it benefits us. That's the first world culture. Rampant individualism. In the context of the church, we are purveyors, tasters, and consumers of spiritual commodities rather than invested, sacrificial members of a faith community. And what we do is, my wife hates Costco. I, I like Costco because it's so ordered. I think it's ordered, except for everyone that's running around not in ordered ways. But... <laughs> But one of the things that I like is in, in Costco is the samples. How many of you guys are glad the samples are back, right? Yeah? Uh-huh. And so you're, you're walking to Costco for whatever, you know, and then you're like, sure, I'll try some lobster ravioli, you know. Uh, let me try some of that. Now, I haven't paid for this. Uh, and and what, what, what happens is, is that we are going and just kind of tasting whatever it is that we want with no sacrifice. We're not buying it. Like, my wife feels really bad 
taking the samples without actually buying the thing. You know, yeah. Those of you that know Karen will know that, so I go and I get the sample for her. That's how I serve her in that way. You know? <laughs> and she's like, but we're not buying it. I'm like, they don't care. You know? Part of the problem is we view Christianity like that. It's like a buffet. And we view community like that, especially like a buffet. Oh, I can come in and I can take whatever I want and then I can go to my room and I can eat it instead of a shared meal, instead of where we bring all of our stuff together and we say, hey, I've got a little bit of this and I've got a little bit of that. And most importantly, we clean up together. Because what, what indicates family more than cleaning up, I don't know. Well, we have this rule when you, when you come to our home for dinner, the first time that you're there, you don't have to clean up. Only the first time that you're there. Because cleaning up is actually being involved and engaged in a broader sense of responsibility and co-ownership. And so that is what we need to understand. We cannot build compelling community if it gets the scraps of our time and our resources and our thoughtfulness. We need to be asking our question, what is the reason that we are here? Am I here out of guilt? Am I here out of tradition? Am I here because this is my job? Am I here because I'm here to see my friends? Am I here because I want my children to receive some kind of Christian education? Or am I here to worship Jesus with my family, where I know that I am needed, where I know that I belong, where I know that what we're doing here elevates the name of Jesus and the practical things as we participate in acts of mercy for the common good of our city will lift Jesus up? Am I here because I know that somehow, mystically, Jesus is present when we gather here in a way that he is not present when I'm having my personal devotion with him? Is that why I'm here? Am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Do I believe that I have more in common with the people in this room than the people that are my same age, my same culture, my same political persuasion, or my same hobbies? Let me say this. I am deeply wounded that every year around this time, we have to struggle to find 10 people to play fantasy football. I'm, thank you, Juan. I mean, it is a wound for me that that is something that we have to struggle with. It is a deep struggle for me that many people, when I mention Formula One, just kind of glaze over <laughs> and have no idea about how it is the most technologically advanced sport with the highly trained athletes that if you just understood a little bit of it, you could just be my friend on a much deeper level. <laughs> it's true. We share these things, we share these commonalities, these affinities, and look, let's not pretend that I don't have a higher sense of affinity with Juan because we're into fantasy football than I have with Neil on that level. But let me say this, the value that Juan and Neil have to me is equal because they're brothers of Jesus. And the fact that I have more in common with the two of them is not based on the fact that one plays fantasy football and the other one doesn't. It's the fact that they are brothers. And, and I've said this before, in the context of COVID, what we did is we took our secondary identities and we made them primary. And we forgot who we were. Brothers and sisters of Jesus in a large family. So, 
I want to urge you the way that Paul urged you in Ephesians 4. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Again, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Christian community is commanded. Christian community is compelling. Do you know who gave these backpacks? It was our Irish family that came and visited us for a week. Um, And they came here, and we had dinner after they came to church. And they said to us, Americans and American church is amazing. I cannot believe how friendly people are. I cannot believe how open people are and how they want to share their lives. And then we had to kind of correct their view. We had to say to them, it, you're right, but that is not an American thing. That is a Mercy Commons thing. That is a you thing. And, and you guys know you've been in context where that is not true. It doesn't take an Irishman to come to America to say, oh, is this what American church is like? Oftentimes, uh, Alan is a friend of mine, he's also from South Africa. Oftentimes, Alan will say or do something and people assume it's because he's from South Africa. Oh, is that a South African thing? No, that's an Alan thing. That's, you know, you know what I mean? That's like, you know, and I'm sure most of you are like, oh, that's, that's what South Africans must be like. No, no, that's a Nick thing. That's just the way that he is. The thing, the thing that Jim Jane M. and Kere, that's, that was their names, you know, those of you. I know, there were a bunch of you here that didn't understand what their names were, you know. But the thing that they recognized is something that was compelling about this community. Now, I know this to be true, not because they were our family. I know this to be true of people that have walked into this community and have experienced something of compelling community. Hallerman, in his book, When the Church Was Family, says the reason why Christian community is compelling is because we share our stuff, we share our hearts, we hang around when things get difficult, and we have redefined the family, and the family is more than just husband, wife, and child. And so let's briefly look at that. We share our stuff. Verse 13 of Romans 12 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I can't even tell all the stories of people in this community that have received washing machines, cars, had their rent paid, gathered money so they can go on vacation, had money given to them so they can get their teeth fixed, contribute to the needs of saints. We share our hearts with one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. Now, attendance at church or even attendance at a life group does not automatically mean that you share your heart. It's not automatic, but it is impossible to do so unless you are gathered with other people with whom you have the opportunity to do so. So I'm not saying that the, uh, the one thing you need to be able to do is to attend a gathering or to attend life group, but the one thing you can't do is share yourself if you're not in a position to do that. And this is essential because we don't get to choose that community. You know when God begins to use someone else's sandpaper in your life? Did you choose that? Did you walk into a community and say, okay, I want to choose someone that I have a real difficult time with, 
And I want to spend time with them so that the Spirit of God can shape me. How many of you do that? Right? And we don't do that. We don't do that on purpose. What happens is then we gather in groups that we haven't handpicked. That happens. And most of the time, if we're listening, we should be saying, not God change them, but God help me understand what it is that I need to adjust in my life. Genuine, deep relationships are messier than casual and superficial ones. And it's in the context of our home where our values get tested. And Car and I have the privilege of, of hosting a life group. We also have the privilege of people coming into our home. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we had someone come over for dinner, and one of our daughters, who shall remain nameless, was being a little bratty. And, uh, and so I let the first thing go, I let the second thing go, and these people had just come into our home, we were just going to get ready for dinner, and she said something, and I said, listen, I am not your buddy, I am your father, you treat me with respect. Yeah? See how quiet it got? Okay, right? Can you imagine how more awkward that was just in the context of that? Now, there are situations like that where we are exposed where we can't do anything about it. Now, for 45 minutes on a Sunday, I can be on my best behavior. But when we have people entering our lives, and when we have people in times of our lives when things are not ordered, then they actually get to see what's in there. And then I actually have the opportunity to expose myself, not on purpose, but expose myself so like, oh, there needs to be some correction. Not just to me but also in terms of how we engage as a family. Does that make sense? We share our hearts when we have the sense of something joyful happened to me and it's contagious. And we joke in our family that, that Karen is funny because she thinks she's funny. That's the funniest thing about Karen is that she thinks she's funny and the way that she laughs. You know, have you noticed she's not here? She's with the kids. So it's like, you know. But one thing I can say, if Karen is laughing, you, you just can't help it. You are just laughing with her, at her. I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, there's this sense of contagious joy. And as much as we share our pain, we share our joy. And that's one of the things that makes it better for us to be in the context of community. Our victories are more powerful when they're shared. Failures and sorrows are easier to carry when they are shared. Thirdly, we stay and we embrace the pain. And we're going to be talking about this over the coming weeks. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. We challenge one another. We exhort one another. And so I'm going to leave that there. And then family is more than a husband, a wife, and kids. This is where each member of the family adds value, not just because of what they bring to the table, but because of who they are. Now, I know this is complex. I know this is complex because part of the challenge with Christian community and with family is that this should be the place where people feel safe, where they feel loved, where they feel cared for, where they feel seen. But this is often the place where people have experienced the opposite of that. And that's why that pain is so deep. This is where failures and our sorrow as a church, and particularly when it comes to handling singles, where we have made the idea of marriage as kind of the pinnacle of Christian experience and where we've made singles, whether not married or divorced or widowed, feel like, how do I fit in? 
And so where Jesus redefined family in Matthew, where they said, your mother and your brothers outside, he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers but those that do the will of the Father? And Jesus redefined his family. And so we have an opportunity as a community of faith to redefine family. Now, Christian community is challenging. Bonhoeffer says the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Now, this is an important distinction. It's not our love for community that will drive us to a healthy state of community. It's our love for one another that will automatically create a healthy community. Nothing will wreck a community like unrealistic expectations we have of each other. And the problem with any community, but especially the Christian church, is the idea of competing preferences. And so not only do we have high expectations of one another that we happen to not expect of ourselves, but we also have competing preferences. And these preferences often don't work, um, they're often not necessarily small things. It's not necessarily, although they are, I mean, churches have split over the colors of carpets and the music being too loud. Our community is more mature than that. I think the challenge with our community is that we have preferences with regards to what we call truth intention. And I just want to read out of our Who Are We um, book in Mercy Commons. In Mercy Commons, we acknowledge the strain of living intention, but embrace it because we see it modeled in Jesus' life. Jesus was a man full of grace and truth. He did not shy away from proclaiming hard and difficult truths, yet he was victimized because he was too merciful and inclusive. Our culture tends to mold us into binary polarized groups where we feel forced to choose one position over another, but Jesus seemed to navigate this with wisdom, winsomeness, and above all, an unwavering commitment to the unshakable and absolute truths of Christianity. And so one of the challenges that we have is being as a community that is committed to the tension of mercy and truth, where mercy covers over sin, but sin is a reality that needs to be confronted. Nick, I wish you'd talk more about the love of God. I wish you would talk less about the holiness of God. Nick, I, 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 I wish you would talk more about the fact that we need to be more socially engaged. Nick, I wish, I, I wish you would talk less about the fact that we need to be politically engaged. Remember, I've, I've said the story before. I had literally a meeting at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock of someone saying, I don't know that I can be in this church because you're too liberal. I don't know that I can be in this church because you're too conservative. Now, as much as I love that idea, that's a tension that we need to manage, that we need God's grace for. I met with another church leader. He said to me, you want to know how to grow your church? I did not ask him that, just so you know. But most... Most people are just assuming that that's what you want. Has anyone ever come to you as a family and said to you, like, how many kids do you have? Two? Oh, when you have six, you'll have a healthy family. We ne Never mind. That's a whole other thing. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. But it's funny how we measure size with health, right? Anyway. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. Okay. Community is challenging. This doesn't mean that we don't have core truths. It doesn't mean that we don't have things that we will not shift away from. It just means that we are less likely to be triggered if we are people-focused rather than principle-focused. 
If, if I know that my first response to Neil should be love rather than what he has said, then I'll be less triggered by what he says. If, if my first response is, this is a man who loves Jesus, this is a man who loves me, my response to him will be different, will be other-focused. We do things and participate in things that maybe we wouldn't participate in. My, like I said, my Irish family came here. We took them to the beach for five hours. I'm like, okay, that's enough now, right? And so they're like, okay, you know, look, they don't see the sun. You know, they had summer on, they had summer on a Thursday last year. You know what I mean? So, so I get it, okay? But they, they came home and took the beach chairs. I kid you not. They took the beach chairs and laid out in the garden because they hadn't had enough sun. You know what I mean? So, so the, they want to go see a baseball game. And I'm a Dodger fan. I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to go all the way to Dodger Stadium with my Irish friends who I will have to explain this to. So we go to an Angel game. So as a Dodger fan at an Angel game, it's already, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm already sitting there. And those of you that are Angel fans know the Angels currently suck right now. So it really, it's, it's, it's a bummer. I'm, what am I doing? I'm people focused. I'm like, this will bless them. And they were blessed, man. They were blessed. They had no idea that what they were watching was horrible. You know? <laughs> They were blessed, you know? When we're people-focused, we do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. You don't get to curate a church based on your personal preferences. You also don't get to curate church based on your legitimate needs, a crisis in your life, or seasons in your life. So the idea is that a legitimate need, a crisis, and a season is better than a preference, but it still cannot be the primary lens through which we view community. We're always in a difficulty. If I say to someone that hasn't been around for a while, and this has happened, oh, Grace, we missed you. Now, Grace can be like, oh, I missed you too. Or she can be like, he means I haven't been around. Uh, he's judging me, full of shame. How dare he say that? That's happened to me. Or I don't say anything to Grace because I don't want her to feel shame. And then what does Grace say? He didn't say anything. I haven't been around for three weeks and no one said anything to me, right? Now we, we can't win, right? Community is complex. Let me show you a cartoon. I love this cartoon. I love this cartoon. Thank you, Ethan. That's not a cartoon. There we go. Okay. Be kind to everyone. Wait, even Gary? Yeah, Gary's the worst. Look, we've been through this. Be kind to Gary as well. Ha, suck it, losers. Not now, Gary. Okay. Okay, before you laugh too hard, you are someone's Gary. Okay? Thank goodness, I checked. I literally went through the church list to see, do we have any Garys? You know what I mean, before, before I showed this. Hopefully there are no Garys visiting with us, you know. People are difficult. In verse 16, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Now harmony, and I chatted with David about this, harmony is not the same note. It doesn't mean uniformity, it means unity. 
Live in harmony with one another. As much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Like I said, one of the things we need to understand is that there will be Garys in our midst. There will be people that are difficult. Jesus had Garys in his midst. James and John, who walked with Jesus, and, and are saying, hey, so listen, when you get your kingdom, can I sit on your left and can I sit on your right? And Scripture records that the rest of the disciples were miffed about this. They heard it. So he had Garys with him. We need to recognize that at some stage, we're going to have to handle a Gary, and at some stage, we are going to be the Gary. Wouldn't you like grace applied to you if you're the Gary? Band, you can come up. Finally, and most importantly, Christian community is Christ-centered. There are many other communities out there. There's the CrossFit community, there's Facebook groups that gather around four by fouring. What if you went to that group, the CrossFit community, and you said, hey man, I love community, I just don't like working out. <laughs> They'd be like, this is probably the wrong place for you. <gasps> this is just an exclusive place. No, we exist for a reason. You know, our reason is around this affinity. These groups are based around uniformity and affinity. They become even more specialized. So not only do you have a CrossFit group, you have like the crazy CrossFit group. And you can only be part of this if you talk about CrossFit more than other people talk about CrossFit, which is a lot anyway, right? <laughs> you can only do this if you lift so much. You can only do this, and so our groups become more and more specialized. But a Christ-loving community should become more and more open to different kinds of people that are saying, I, I want to learn about this Jesus. And I want to learn within the context of this community. Community does not save us. The cross saves us. Community does not make us whole. The cup of communion makes us whole. Community does not give us a sense of meaning, purpose, or direction. Jesus' commission to his disciples, therefore us, is what gives us meaning, purpose, and direction. But community is where we practice and rehearse the gospel as a model for the world and a remedy for our own souls. Church, learning to love one another as the family of God is impossible without being empowered by the Spirit of God and without recognizing that we have been loved so fully and so deeply that the only response that we can have is to return that love, however falteringly we do it, to those around us. Jesus modeled this love. What I love about the way that Jesus operated is that he expressed his need. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Pray with me. Stay with me. This is God incarnate in human form saying, I need you. If he needed others, we certainly need others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself further and died a criminal's death on the cross. What is this community around? It's simply around one thing, that God himself in Jesus Christ came to this earth and pursued us. That in his pursuit of love and affection, he realized that there was a penalty that needed to be paid, and he paid that penalty on that cross. 
Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This world is not going to be impressed if we found the perfect middle ground so that we don't annoy each other by not talking about certain subjects. This world is not going to be impressed by the fact that we all believe exactly the same thing and that we march in unison like an army marches. This world is going to be intrigued by the fact that we love Jesus so much and that his love is reshaping my life that I'm able to love the Garys in my life. That is what is going to impress this world, that I'm able to overlook, that I'm able to bear with, that I'm able to forgive, and most importantly, that I'm able to give the kind of grace and mercy that I received in Jesus Christ. That I'm saying I've received such love, such grace, and such mercy that God fully knows me to the deepest, darkest part of me and fully loves me. God, I want the privilege to be able to extend that to someone else. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that I am fully known by you. That there are things that no other human being, thoughts that I've had that I haven't shared with any other person, but you know those things and you fully love me because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I want to thank you. I want to thank you that I am fully accepted in you. I want to thank you that I have nothing to prove. And I want to thank you, God that you drew me into a community-creating event when I said yes to you. So, Spirit of God, I pray that as we lift our gaze to you afresh, you would open our hearts. You would open our hearts to recognize that we are needed in this community and that we belong. And we aren't needed or we belong because of our special skills, but we are needed and we belong because you say we are. We love you, Jesus. You've been wounded in the context of community. You've been wounded in the sense of expectations, whether rightly or wrongly so. I'm sorry. Church should not be a place where we are wounded more than we are healed. But because church is a place that's full of human beings, that is likely to happen. I wish I could say it will never happen. What I can say is that it should never happen. And so if you're in a place where you need to receive healing from those kinds of wounds, there are people on my left, your right, that would love to pray with you. We want to recognize that every time we gather, we represent two things. The fact that we are a needy people that you have rescued, but that we are also people that can offer rescue to others. God, for those that need a fresh reminder that their sins are forgiven, I want to pray by your Holy Spirit you would do that. And for those who need strength to forgive others, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would do that. Thank you for setting us free, my God. I cannot encourage you enough um, to wholeheartedly press into what was spoken about today. I firmly believe that when we do that as a community, uh, we will have the privilege of watching the world change around us. So guys, um, the privilege of being the body of Christ 
um, comes with the glorious opportunity of welcoming others into it. And it's the love that we display that actually compels them to look and to listen. So guys, it has been an absolute delight to gather in the name of Christ. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, if you don't have to go right away, there's a beautiful patio in the back. Uh, you can head through these doors and then out to the left. There's incredible coffee, donuts. Uh, I would love to meet you if you're visiting today. But guys, let's go and be the church. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.